Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussion Podcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $3 a month or $25 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. So I'm sitting here thinking about the Word of Wisdom because it is uh, June 23rd, and we just had the Word of Wisdom last week, and a good friend of mine who's a Gospel Doctrine teacher is teaching the Word of Wisdom this Sunday, and so we've been having these conversations about this subject, and it's an, it's an area that we've never covered here on the podcast before. So I thought it'd be interesting to to sit and spend a few minutes talking about the Word of Wisdom, specifically Section 89, right? And what it says, what it doesn't say, how it's how we frame this within our theology, some of the things we learn from it, and then kind of talk about maybe the implementation of the Word of Wisdom into what we have today. And so the first thing that kind of needs to be said is the idea behind Joseph Smith in a quote that he gave where he says that Mormonism is truth. And in other places he talks about like wherever it is, wherever truth can be found, we're willing to accept it and wrap our arms around it. But the reality is that the institution of Mormonism and the culture of Mormonism today is very uncomfortable with any unique or new truth that it doesn't have that perhaps lays outside of its boundaries. And and the word of wisdom, I mean, when we think of it, right, when we give the lesson, we do it at least every four years, and maybe it's even more often than that because of various manuals for various classes. But you have this idea in the the origination of the word of wisdom, and we all know the story. They're in the, I believe it's the John Johnson home in Hiram, Ohio. Or no, maybe it's even the top of the New K. Whitney store. In fact, now that I think about it, I think it is in the New K. Whitney store. And you've got this school of the prophets going on, right? And it's where all these early leaders of the church are gathered together and they're having these classes and conversations and, and being taught. And and these men are, are chewing their tobacco and spitting at the platoon but missing and it's going on these old floorboards and these boards are not made off of a modern day mill and there's gaps and spaces and so this disgusting spittle juice is just working its way into the cracks of the floor and every night these men just being men ruling society just get to get up from their meeting and leave and then poor emma has to go upstairs and i picture her with like a little apron on and getting down on on the floor with a scrub brush and a bucket of soapy water and scrubbing these spittle stains off of the off the hard oak floorboards. And heavens forbid if they be pine and a little more porous and absorbent and, and this stuff is just working its way in and becoming just a disgusting mess. And so she goes to Joseph and, and says, Joseph, we've got a problem here. And and so the first thing we should talk about is this idea like when Kate Kelly 
goes to ordain women and then, and then reaches out to the church and says, church, there's a problem here. Will you, will you ask God for a resolution? And the church seems really uncomfortable letting Kate Kelly or ordain women, any person or movement outside of its hierarchy from saying, Hey, we have a problem here. And yet we go back to the very days of our church and the DNC, the doctrine and covenants is full of experiences where people come to Joseph and say, Joseph, would you seek the Lord's will on my behalf or on the church's behalf on this or that? And many of those are on my behalf, but Emma here is a specific instance of we've got a problem here. We need a revelation for the church. And Joseph doesn't seem to say like, hey, you can't do that. We're going to blacklist you, and we're also going to put pressure on your local leader to get rid of you. Rather, Joseph goes off and he prays. And he comes back with an answer. And that answer is section 89 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And it should be noted, section 89 is very different and unique from the way in which we frame the Word of Wisdom today. So section 89 starts off. Now, this was given in 1833. On February 27th, verse 1, a word of wisdom for the benefit of the council of the high priest assembled in Kirtland and the church and also the saints in Zion. It's interesting, the separation here. First, the revelations to the leaders. Hey, leaders, you can't be spitting gross crap on the floor and doing the things you're doing. Something has to change. And to the church, which is the organized church, and then the saints outside of the organized church, out in the mission field. And so you're essentially recognizing like everyone, people not in a formal congregation, but still Latter-day Saints. And perhaps even that last phrase could be seen as to those in the world who are not even members of the church. Verse 2, to be sent greeting, not by commandment or constraint. To be sent greeting not by commandment or constraint, but by revelation and the word of wisdom showing forth the order and will of God and the temporal salvation of all saints in the last days. This commandment, which is not a commandment in section 89. Again, I'm okay saying like something changed between now and then. Fine. But in that moment, when this was given, it was not a commandment. It was given not by commandment and not by constraint. Given for a principle with a promise, adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints. So the Lord seems to be like, look, here's some good general advice. It's not by commandment. I'm not trying to compel you to follow this. But these are some really good principles. And I'm suggesting that you use your agency and use your spiritual ability to get answers from me and go get those and then try to take care of yourself. It feels like the doctrine here is to take care of our bodies. They're a temple. And and God, again, this is God speaking in this revelation, right? If we accept this as scripture... If we accept this as the voice of God, God is saying, like, I don't want to force anybody to do this. This is given to the weakest of saints. All of us can learn from this. All of us can benefit from this. Let's take this and let's use our agency. Now, this section of the DNC becomes canon. This section 
is entered into our scripture and is accepted by the church through common consent. At some time or another, right, the church raises its hand in favor of accepting this into our canon. In some ways, it could be argued that it becomes our doctrine. It also becomes binding on us, this idea of it being binding, right? That I'm obligated as a Latter-day Saint, because at one time or another, the church agreed, like, we're going to accept this. This is our canon. And for those of us who were born later, after that common consent was followed, we have been grandfathered in some, you know, and, and I probably ought to use the term of grandsoned in, right? That we've been grandchild in to, even though we never at one moment in time raised our hand and said, we accept this revelation, let's welcome it into our canon, it was accepted previously by the community. This section 89 becomes again binding on us. Now it should be noted that there is a place in section uh, 89 of the DNC, uh, verse 17. Nevertheless, wheat for man and corn for the ox and oats for the horse and rye for the fowls and for the swine and for all the beasts of the field and barley for all useful animals and for mild drinks as also other grain. Now, I'm not trying to make a justification that alcohol on some levels allowed, but I do want to historically have a conversation, right? That there's, there's some historical issue here. One is that alcohol is not banned by the word of wisdom. Section 89, the revelation from God, which is binding on us, does not ban alcohol. In fact, it proscribes beer, which is a mild drink of barley, right? Because there's strong drinks and there's mild drinks. And the word of wisdom suggests against strong drinks, but it proscribes mild drinks. So what we have to kind of come to grips with is that the only revelation that we have on the public record where God is talking to his prophet and the fact that we have taken that revelation and have raised our hands as a community in common consent and accepted it into our canon, hence made it binding on us. That word of God, the mind and will of God, says that mild drinks of barley are proscribed. Now, the word of wisdom goes through lots of changes, right? Like, we think as a membership that... um that the word of wisdom today is kind of the way it's generally been, or at the very least, like it very quickly, sometime early in Brigham Young's presidency, it became what it is today. And it should be noted that that's not exactly the way it happened. So I want to run through a little bit of these shifts and changes, but then I want to kind of draw kind of a conclusion with with where we're at today versus where we were and how we got there and what all that means. So we have, again, the revelation in 1833. Not by constraint, not by commandment, it's kind of general and vague, but also specific in some areas of like things we should eat in certain seasons, that kind of stuff. In 1861, Brigham Young says, quote, Some of the brethren are very strenuous upon the word of wisdom and would like to have me preach upon it, and urge upon the brethren, and make it a test of fellowship, 
I do not think I shall do so. I have never done so. In 1870, Brigham Young in general conference said, quote, If you must chew tobacco, omit it while in meeting. And when you leave, you can take a double portion if you wish to. He also said, quote, The observance of the word of wisdom or interpretation of God's requirements on this subject must be left partially with the people. We cannot make laws like the Medes and Persians. We cannot say you shall never drink a cup of tea, or you shall never taste of this, or you shall never taste of that. Think about that. Brigham Young says we should never get to the place where we put our foot down and draw rigid lines and say you shall not do this and you shall not do that. Think of the wisdom in what President Young says when we begin to realize as science comes out that some of these things, tea and coffee, have health benefits. I'm not saying there perhaps aren't also health negatives in there. That there aren't also detriments in those substances. I think the debate perhaps is still on. And I'll leave room for the, the net positive or net negative to still be one way or the other. But we ought to recognize the wisdom in Brigham Young and saying, like, let's not just make anything absolute here. And then on June 9th, 1897, right? So we're past the life of Brigham Young. He says we should never say, you shall not have a drink, a cup of tea. You shall not taste of this. You shall not taste of that. We get to June 9th, 1897. President Wilford Woodruff writes in his journal, June 9th, I was quite restless all night, felt chilly, took a little brandy sling and a cup of coffee and slept some before daylight and until 9 a.m. when I ate breakfast, after which I rested and slept at intervals until 3 p.m. President Woodruff drinks a brandy sling, right? So he's got this really strong alcoholic drink. He also has a cup of coffee, and then he goes back to bed, sleeps till 9 a.m., gets up, eats some breakfast, and then goes back to bed and sleeps at intervals until 3 p.m. Here's Woodruff drinking an upper and a downer. And it's no wonder why the guy pretty much slept till 3 p.m. the next day. So that's 1897. One year later, 1898, Lorenzo Snow decides it should be a commandment, but noted that Wilford Woodruff had said earlier that, quote, he regarded the word of wisdom in its entirety as given of the Lord for the Latter-day Saints to observe, but he did not think that bishops should withhold recommends from persons who did not adhere strictly to it, so they sought not to enforce it. Sometime around the same period, we've got James E. Talmage's journals, and also we have historical data from other places that talk about James Talmage's use of hashish, hashish, or marijuana. And so Talmage, the guy who writes Jesus the Christ, right? This guy is using pot, hashish. He's using it at John Hopkins University. He's doing some studies. He's also doing some things on his own. And there's several recorded instances of him speaking to the effects of these drugs. In 1902, and you have to keep in mind here, we are beginning to enter into a stronger phase of the temperance movement, and we eventually get into prohibition. And so in 1902, Joseph F. Smith urged stake presidents and others to refuse recommends to flagrant violators 
but to be somewhat liberal with old men who use tobacco and old ladies who drink tea. Habitual drunkards, however, were to be denied temple recommends. That's 1902. In 1905, the Council of the Twelve were actively preaching that no man should hold a leadership position if he would not obey the word of wisdom. On the 5th of July, 1906, the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve... Now again, when they say these people should not be allowed to participate fully if they don't obey the word of wisdom, again, are we talking Section 89, or are we talking about the continuously more rigid interpretation that we make of the word of wisdom. Because there is a giant difference. 5th of July, 1906, the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve begin using water instead of wine for their sacrament meetings. Keep in mind this, right? That the church had gone to water long before. And now in 1906, the First Presidency finally switches over to water. At this point, we get into the 19, uh, the, the teens, the 1915, 1916, 1917, 1918, 1919. Keep in mind here, again, prohibition is building up. And in 1920, it becomes the 18th Amendment. So you have in 1915, President Joseph F. Smith instructs that no one is to be ordained to the priesthood or given a temple recommend without adherence to the word of wisdom. Now again, adherence to section 89 or adherence to Joseph F. Smith's interpretation. 1919, a letter, instructions sent to mission presidents dated October 8th in 1919 clearly shows that the word of wisdom being a requirement is really strongly in place at this time. Now we should keep in mind that doesn't mean everybody followed it. Right? That this is still fluid. You've got President McKay eating rum cake and saying, man, the rules aren't to not eat it. The rules are to not drink it. And he kind of makes a laugh and a joke when somebody tries to point out that, oh my goodness, you're eating some rum cake and it has alcohol in it. Even today, folks, some of us are using real vanilla and what we cook with. Look at the ingredients. There's alcohol in that. Right? And sometimes we're adding it to things just to flavor something up that even doesn't get cooked. And we can make the argument, oh, the alcohol is cooked off. No, it isn't. All of this stuff gets messy. Jesus himself, we want to make the argument that he drank pure grape juice. It wasn't wine. It was fruit of the vine. No, guys, like pull up Google and like do some searches and actually like let go of your comfortable belief for a second and read up on what they were drinking in the day of Jesus and what these words mean in their language. And you'll see that the historical context points to Jesus having drank wine. Again, who cares? Section 89 comes in 1833, long after Jesus. But you can see the fluidity of, here's a revelation given as just a good principle and to be not used by commandment or constraint, the early leaders of the church saying, like, let's not ever get to a point where we make this some kind of rigid thou shalt and shalt not. Let's, like, leave some agency with the people. And then Joseph F. Smith comes along and makes this more rigid. And and you can see, even as he looks back on Wilfred Woodruff, who didn't really want to go there, and he kind of does want to go there. And so today, and the other thing that should be talked about is this idea of, of uh, hot drinks, right? 
Joseph gets a revelation, tells the church hot drinks. Joseph himself is never on the record of saying that those mean coffee and tea. Rather, we have his brother, Hiram Smith, who is, who is telling us what the intended meaning of those words are. So the conversation now becomes like, let's look at this both in width as well as depth, right? So in the, in the width of this, if we just look at the timeline of this, we realize just how fluid the word of wisdom is, what it started off as, what the early leaders framed it as, and what later leaders began to draw lines and make it more rigid. How some leaders tend to push back a little at that, other leaders wanted to entrench more into it, and how fluid it was. And how they all kind of keep pointing back to, like, we need to follow the word of wisdom. But to remember what that original section 89, what that was. And it's not just looking at the timeline, it's also looking at the very here and now. Is the word of wisdom followed uniformly in this very moment? And the, and the answer is no. Because there are members of the church in certain cultural locations who have different interpretations of the word of wisdom and get those interpretations from their leadership. So you have in some of the Polynesian countries, leaders of the church saying like kava is a forbidden substance in the word of wisdom. And if you're drinking kava, I'm not going to give you a temple recommend. You have places in the world where people are still saying like, one variation of the tea leaf is okay and another variation isn't. So I'll drink the white tea leaf, but I won't touch the green or the black. Or I'll drink the black, but I won't touch the green or the white. And so until the church wants to come out and say specifically, like, we've had a revelation. And again, I'm not talking section 89. I'm talking something that changes 89, right? Like, if mild drinks of barley are prescribed by the section 89 if if the if the word of god we have on the record that is binding on us says we are okay and maybe even should drink mild drinks of barley if we're going to get to a place where we're going to take a 180 turn and say no we're not is it not our responsibility to provide a revelation on the matter and get that revelation accepted by common consent in other words, can somebody withhold a temple recommend from someone else if they are following the binding commandment that that is part of our canon in the tradition of our faith? Or does current policy allow us to completely run 180 degrees counter to the word of God and that policy not be sustained by common consent, and yet it is what is to be obeyed, and which is what we will all be measured by. And again, I'm not throwing any answers out. I'm simply saying, like, this is something we really don't spend a lot of time on. We like to talk about doctrine and what it is and what it isn't, and 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 there are so many definitions of that that just it doesn't simply it simply doesn't work. But we should at least spend some time, like, thinking this through. Like, is it fair? Is it right? Is it okay? Is it acceptable? Is it, is it kosher for the church to take the word of God and make it 180 degrees different from what that word of God was 
with no revelation, with no acceptance of common consent, and then hold church members accountable to that interpretation when the word of God over here says something 180 degrees different. And once we realize just how messy the word of wisdom gets, right? What I would simply end off on is just the recognition that like, what is the real doctrine here? And if doctrine is defined as an eternal truth, something that doesn't change, then the eternal doctrine is that our bodies are temples and that God expects us to take care of them and that God has laid out various rules and suggestions and commandments along the way to help us do that. But none of those rules and suggestions and commandments were doctrine because none of those were eternal then the only doctrine is to take care of our bodies. And the only context to how we should do that, that is binding on the saints, is section 89 of the DNC. And perhaps if you can connect, for instance, one of the Ten Commandments to the, to the Word of Wisdom or to, to the, how we should take care of our bodies. For instance, how I take care of another person's body, I don't kill them, right? Thou shall not commit murder. And and so we have this idea that what is binding on us is section 89 of the DNC. And again, I keep hitting it. I know I'm sounding like a broken record. I want us to put our brains on this. Like, like the, like I want the church to have a conversation with me and say, we can change the binding canon of God without a revelation and without that revelation, if there is one, without that revelation being accepted by common consent. And I want to have that conversation because I think that conversation opens up a can of worms to other things. I don't think the church would want to fight for the position that it can counter the revelations of God, especially the canonized revelations of God, especially the canonized revelations of God that have been accepted by common consent and open the door for that kind of an argument. And so I'm curious if put on the spot, if the church would say something like, oh, yeah, we didn't realize that we had overreached this far on this issue. And what we would prefer to do today is to let people make their own decisions by the power of the Holy Ghost and us not be on the record laying out what we should do and shouldn't do in terms of specifics for our body. And I think, I think this overreaching on the word of wisdom, if that's what it is, is just one more overreaching that comes from the Joseph F. Smith, Joseph Fielding Smith, Bruce R. McConkie side of Mormonism. And when you look at all the things Mormonism has overreached on, I think it's fair to be able to ask about the word of wisdom also being one of those things. Like, like, how can I read Elder McConkie's writings when I've thrown out, and the church is even saying, like, yeah, please, go ahead, throw out 80% of what he said. Like, what that does is it brings the other 20% into question. Because now we have to ask, like, how do we know what's real and what isn't, what's true and what's not? And I'm, I'm simply asking the question here, if the word of wisdom is another one of those things that we created a rigid wall around that God never intended for it to be so and that those who overreached if they did and those who built those walls if they did were simply 
working within the mechanisms of their culture and the society's expectations and what was going on around it. It's my hope going forward that we can begin to become a church that's more vulnerable to these kinds of conversations. That we can begin to ask, like, on just how much did we overreach? And the reality is, the narrative the church has told itself forever, essentially every single facet of that narrative is now seen within historical context as being a much weaker position to argue than it ever has been through the history of our church. First vision, word of wisdom, why people leave, polygamy, polyandry, seer stones, translation of the Book of Mormon, treasure digging. I mean, and again, I could sit here and I could list a thousand of those. And the question becomes, is the word of wisdom and how we interpret it today versus the canonized binding revelation if we've done it once again. May the Lord warm your shoulders. May we be more open to vulnerable conversations. May we be more open to saying like, yeah, I know we teach this, but can we have a conversation of why we teach this and where it comes from? That's my prayer. It's the prayer of a lot of people. This is this is me begging the church to open up and to be more vulnerable with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 